Hello, and welcome to the Market Weekly Podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and today I'm joined by J.C. Sambor, Global Head of Emerging Market Fixed Income. And this week, we're actually going to focus on Chinese fixed income. Uh, but before we do that, a bit of an update on what we're seeing in the markets. I think it's safe to say uh, markets taking a bit of a breather, perhaps, after the big rallies that we saw the previous week following the first announcement of a successful trial for a coronavirus vaccine. Uh, since then, we've actually gotten, uh, honestly, more encouraging news uh, on the vaccine front. But at the same time, uh, we're faced with arguably more discouraging news on the pandemic front, particularly in the U.S. So discussions of having to cancel holidays, Thanksgiving coming up, uh, who knows what happens at the end of the year, rising infection rates, uh, and serious concerns about the capacity uh, of some hospitals across the country. Now, equity markets, as they tend to do, focusing a bit more on the medium term, on the upside, on the bright side. So uh, struggling, uh, but perhaps still managing to make some gains, whereas we see in the fixed income market, certainly uh, government bonds and treasuries, a bit more of a focus on the near term, on the downside risk. And you've seen yields actually fall back from where they had been over the previous week. Now, even though we do see slightly worse news in the U.S., uh, frankly, in Europe, uh, arguably things are looking a bit better. Uh, in several countries, you're seeing falling infection rates. Uh, but that said, it doesn't answer the question of uh, once you get to a level where governments are, are reasonably happy with the rate of infections, feel like the healthcare system can manage the situation, uh, how far can restrictions really be lifted? I don't think anyone anticipates going back uh, to the freedom, so to speak, that we had in the summer. And so markets still having to assess what's going to be the ongoing level of restraints on economic activity until vaccines really do become uh, more widely, widely available. Uh, final point, uh, as we think about how, in particular, equity markets are reacting to this, uh, value still outperforming uh, growth so far. That was, of course, one of the big uh, reversals that we saw last week with the rally in the market and that value trade uh, certainly being helped by what continues to be a rallying oil prices. But questions, of course, about uh, how far that's likely to go. Okay, so now let's turn to our special invited guest, JC. Uh, of course, we're post the U.S. election, we think, uh, and one of the uh, bigger implications of a new president may well be the relationship between the U.S. Uh, and China. Uh, if we think more specifically about government bond markets, uh, of course, we're aware that yields are still negative uh, in many parts of the world. In this context, Chinese bonds probably look attractive. How do they compare with bonds of other countries, both emerging and developed? Hi, good afternoon, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, like it's a, it's pretty pretty appealing, I would say. Like you have you have to think that your ten-year Treasury bonds in China are way in excess of three percent, and when you have to take into account that like most your developed market yields are in negative territory, uh, the yield differential is is of course you're very appealing. And also, like even if you compare to your China uh, to other emerging markets, you see that you you tend to have like pretty high yield in China compared to like many to your, uh, investment grade countries. So I would say the beauty of China and the appeal of China it is really like appealing both your against your developed markets and also to against emerging markets. 
we think a lot about, of course, what may happen with the dollar. I think it's safe to say a lot of uh, investors, market participants are anticipating a weakening of the dollar as we kind of move into more risk on mode. Uh, we've seen, in fact, the RMB has rallied recently, uh, partly on the back of foreign demand for Chinese assets and hopes for a more amenable relationship with the U.S. What is the outlook from your point of view for the currency? So, like, you have to put things into context. Uh, we we are very positive emerging markets currencies in 2021. We think, uh, like, uh, the era of the King Doro is most likely behind us. Uh, we think that emerging markets currencies are cheap, and we are likely to see some very strong capital flows uh, back to emerging markets. And China will not be uh, any exception in that regard. When you look at uh, your, the fundamentals of China, if you focus especially on the balance of payments, uh, you have at your, a very healthy current account surplus. And remember that your, a couple of years ago, people were forecasting your, a current account deficit, which could be problematic for the balance of payment. It has not happened. But the current account your surplus uh, is strong because you had like much stronger like export growth than expected, and import growth has been overall at your relatively contained. And we think it's going to be the case at your in, in in 2021. So on the current account side, we are positive. Also, what is very interesting is that on the capital account side, we are also likely to to, to see still very strong uh, your portfolio flows uh, to back to to China. As you know, uh, the Asia market. Uh, has been at your strong this year. We are seeing at your quite strong your, uh, portfolio flows on the equity side, uh, but you have to take into account that your, the portfolio flows on the onshore fixed income side are now like three to four times bigger, or even sometimes five times bigger than on the equity side. So the amount of portfolio flows on the capital account side are likely to be much higher than what people are expecting. So if you combine the fact that your, the, your both the capital account and the current account are likely to be very positive for China, we think the RMB is likely to continue to appreciate. Of course, it will it will be a volatile journey. At your, we we think that your uh, Chinese policymakers are willing to avoid kind of like one-way bet. They want to, to have like a two-way street. There will be some volatility. They are uh, they are willing to have like a more market-based at your uh, currency, which is like a very healthy development. But like for us, we have like your quite high conviction that your ZRMB is likely to continue to appreciate against US dollar. Of course, one of the big stories over the last year and into next year is the increasing inclusion of Chinese debt and a lot of the emerging market debt indices. Uh, what are your expectations for allocations to Chinese debt then? Will 2021 be the year of catch up? when investors reduce their underexposure to China? Well, I think that's really the elephant in the room. So uh, I've been you know, covering China for close to 20 years now. I thought that you know, this uh, you know, inclusion in global benchmark will basically never happen. And I was wrong, and I'm, that's why I'm so excited. Uh, I think that over the last you know, five years, we have seen like a very, very strong uh, commitment from Chinese policymakers to make sure that your uh, access uh, to this market was very uh, you know, simplified, that all the settlement issues, the trading issues uh, to, were also like really simplified. 
all the, the regulatory concerns have been like uh, eased, that your, all the your regulatory bodies have been like very, very streamlined. And because of that, as you said, they have been able to, uh, to be included uh, in the GBIM from JP Morgan, at your in at your, uh, the global ag at your and, and also like it's your like in 2021 at your the weekly uh, also will be another milestone. If you take into uh, this into account, what you're talking about maybe 200 to 300 billion of additional inflows that you're just related to this your benchmark inclusion. But if you take at your even like a more like long term view on this, uh, it's a uh, the share of foreign ownership of Chinese onshore bond, if you're talking about the treasury market, it's around 8%. It used to be around 2 to 3%, so it has gone up you know, quite significantly already. But it's, uh, there's no reason that, that it will stay so low. I think it can easily go to, in the medium to long term, to 20 to 25%. If you think about this, the share of foreign ownership of uh, the Indonesia market or Malaysia market is anywhere between 30 to 40 percent. At your, sometimes it has been even higher than that. If you think about even like your know, developed markets, if you think about your Japan or like your UK or your US, the share of foreign ownership is anywhere between your know, 40 to 60 percent. If you think if you want to be pretty uh, conservative and that you just look at uh, what will happen, for instance, here, like in, in Korea. Korea, the share of foreign ownership is around 15%. If the share of foreign ownership of Chinese onshore bond market is going from 8% to 15%, we are talking about like uh, close to 1 trillion US dollar going into the Chinese onshore bond market. So it is a game changer. It will force all asset allocators to rethink the framework they have to when they think about Chinese onshore bond market. We are talking about the second largest fixed income market in the world, and it is also one of the most underworld market in the world. I can tell you that it is very likely to change at your in the foreseeable future. Well, it's actually a, a very good fact there. I imagine a lot of our listeners didn't realize that China was the second largest fixed income market in the world. Uh, so. What's the attractiveness of that? As you pointed out, Chinese yields uh, for government bonds are around 3%, which is not only, uh, of course, quite attractive relative to negative yields in much of the developed market world, uh, but also even relative to emerging markets, uh, uh, an attractive yield. So uh, China is appealing both for emerging market and developed market government bond investors. Of course, then the currency matters a lot when you think about an investment there. Uh, but your expectations that the rally that we've seen relative uh, not only to the dollar but to other EMFX has reasons to continue, always with, with caveats about trying to predict uh, currency moves, but uh, supportive balance of payments, current account surplus, not a deficit, as people at one point had worried about, uh, and significant portfolio inflows, and not just to Chinese equities, but also in particular to the China onshore bond market which then, of course, is related to the inclusion of China uh, in these benchmark indices, which uh, is, is ongoing. Uh, you said you anticipate maybe 200 to 300 billion of inflows just because of the benchmark inclusion. Uh, but probably the key driver over the medium term is that if, as you estimated, foreign ownership of the government bond market is only around 8% currently, that's quite low. 
uh, when you compare um, to other emerging markets alone, to other developed markets where foreign ownership easily uh, is above 2030, uh, maybe even 40%. So it does seem to be uh, a lot of upside potential there. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks again to JC for sharing his insights. I hope you will join us next week when I'll be speaking with Raul Leote de Carvalho about equity factor investing in 2021. With that, goodbye and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.